welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. So what I want to talk with you about this morning uh, is a real sensitive topic, and it's really prevalent right now, and it's the topic of racism. And I'll be honest, when I, when I first started preparing this week, I had no intention of talking about this subject. Uh, my plan was to make a comment and make a kind of a, a biblical worldview, bring out a biblical worldview, just because it is such a huge issue right now in the world. So I wanted to address it, but I had no plans of, of talking about it as a message. Um, but then as I sat down and began preparing, it was just the Lord just kept giving point after point after point. And before long, my little two-minute exhortation on the subject became a you know, 30-minute message. <laughs> so um, it's, it's really, I really feel it's what's on the Lord's heart right now. And that's what I want to speak on, is what is the Lord speaking? What's on his heart? And, um, and, and I'm going to say some different things today um, that, that, may, uh, that may cause, I don't know how to say it. I don't want to say offense because it's not that at all. I may say some things that, that uh, maybe transcend your worldview, if that makes sense. That may be a little different than maybe the way you've thought before, and that's okay, right? We're, we're growing, we're learning. But what I want to do today is bring a kingdom perspective to what's going on in the world right now. And, and what's going on right now is, is this topic of racism that's been just kind of brought to the surface uh, ver- through various different things. So, so I need some encouragement this morning as I'm going through this. So some hearty amens, some we got your backs, don't leave me stranded this morning, amen? <laughs> okay, and I, I'm also gonna make, I'm gonna say things like white and black, and I don't mean that to be offensive in any way, shape, or form, okay? So I wanna say that as well at the offset of this whole thing. My intent this morning is not to offend, and I don't think it will, um, but pay attention to your heart as I'm talking this morning. If it challenges you, let it. If it makes you uncomfortable, take notice of that and ask yourself the question, why do I feel uncomfortable right now? Let, it, let your mind process what's going on. Amen? What's happening in your heart. See, I, I've really set this up now. You all think this is going to be just some crazy message, and it is, but uh, I think the Lord is going to speak this morning. The first thing I want to say right off the bat is this. We as a church condemn racism in every way, shape, and form, period. In every way, shape, and form, we condemn racism. Not only do we condemn it, but we also oppose it. Meaning, we don't only just say we disagree with racism, we also take action against it. Amen? We don't just realize we oppose it, we take action against it. I've realized something throughout this whole narrative, and I've done a lot of reading, 
I've done a lot of watching, probably looked at Facebook more than I have in my entire life throughout this whole thing. And that's saying something, you know. So um, I've, been, I've been reading different things, watching different things. Something I've realized is this, is the word racism carries with it very heavy imagery. Am I right? When, when you hear the word racism, your, your mind immediately reverts to the, the early 20s or, or whatever, uh, and you see, you, you picture lynchings, or you picture people wearing the white garments and the hood, and you picture burning crosses. That's what the word racism a lot of times immediately produces in our minds. But I want to tell you, the, that, and that's, that's the high bar for racism. But really, racism is much more, can be much more subtle than just that. That racism, and, and this, is, this is my own definition, but I believe it's true, that racism can be anything, any decision or any action that is made based off the color of a person's skin or the tribe that they come from even, or the different culture that they're from. Does that make sense? So any decision or action that is made based off of the color of a person's skin can be considered racism. And, and that's, that's where I feel like a lot of people are misunderstanding the narrative right now, is they're hearing racism and they're thinking, I'm not burning crosses in people's front yards, you know? Like, I would imagine that if I looked in all of your closets this morning, I wouldn't find a white hood, right? But, but racism can be much more subtle than that. And that is what I believe is being talked about right now when it's being referred to. Does that make sense? So understanding, I think it's important that when we hear the word racism, that, that we understand that it is more than that. Listen, it's what Martin Luther King said. It's anytime someone is judged by the color of their skin rather than the content of their character. Does that make sense? Amen? One thing that I have determined within myself since all of this has started up was to listen, was to be a person that listens. Listen to different views, listen to different voices, voices from people I normally agree with and voices from people that I normally don't agree with. Some of what I heard made me nod my head in agreement and some of what I heard made me very uncomfortable. But I was quiet and I listened. James 1, 19 through 20 says, my dearest brothers and sisters, take this to heart. Be quick to listen and slow to speak and be slow to become angry for human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purpose. James tells us, my dear brothers and sisters, be slow to speak. Be slow to spout off your opinion in a moment and be quick to listen. And so that's what I've determined in all of this thing is before I share a word out of my mouth, I'm gonna quiet myself and listen, not just to the people that I normally agree with, because that's easy to do, is to listen to them and let them validate everything that you already believe. It's comfortable to do that. It's uncomfortable to listen to somebody who you normally disagree with, 
who is on the other side of the narrative and to let what they say go into you, to look past their, their culture, to look past their belief system or even political party and look in to their heart and really hear what they're saying. It's difficult and uncomfortable to do that, but I determined to be able to do that, to be slow to speak and be quick to listen. Be slow to speak and be quick to listen, amen? Here's what I found as I decided to take the advice of the Bible. I found that not everyone sees the world through the same perspective that I do. Shocker, right? <laughs> like that right there is the deepest thing I'm gonna say today, right? Not everybody views the world through the same lens, through the same perspective that I view the world. We can all be looking at the same mountain and see totally different things based off the path and the trail that we took to get to that mountain. That people see differently than we do. Here's, here's the analogy that I came up with. Is, and really what I'm talking about here is our worldview, right? Our worldview, the way we see the world. We see the world, it's like if we were to put on a pair of glasses. And those, those lenses in that glasses are shaped by how we were raised. It was shaped by the culture we were raised in. It was shaped by the friends and those who influenced us. It was shaped by our experiences. All of those things come together and create a worldview, a way that we view the world, a way that we see events. And everything that we see, everything that we look at, every opinion that we have is based off of us looking through those lenses. Make sense? It's our worldview. What I've, what I've, when I'm talking about listening, what I'm saying is, is sometimes we have to take off our glasses, be willing to set them down, pick up somebody else's glasses and put them on and look at the world through their eyes. Look at the world through their experience, through their culture, through their uh, uh, experiences with, with things that have happened in them through their upbringing, all of those things. And the only way we do that is to listen to what they are talking about and what they are saying. And it's important that we are able to put our glasses down and pick the others up. I love what the, uh, one of the greatest fighters in all of history said, Muhammad Ali, you know, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, that guy. He said, he said, if I view the world the same way I, at 50 years old, as I did at 20 years old, then I've wasted 30 years of my life. Let me say it one more time in a better, without stuttering. If I view the world the same way at 50 years old as I did when I was 20, then I've wasted 30 years of my life. That you, the only way to grow and to see the world from a more holistic view is to take your glasses off and put somebody else's on. It's the only way to grow. It's the only way you'll see the world from a more holistic view. So it's important that in this time that we are willing and able to take off those glasses and put somebody else's on. Now here, listen, here's the most important point that I have today, okay? The most important point that I have today. Regardless of the glasses that you are wearing, you have to see through those lenses with, the eyes of the Father. 
period. No matter what lenses you're wearing, no matter what worldview you are looking through, you have to look at it through the eyes of the Father. You have to first, before you are anything else, you have to first have the perspective of the kingdom. And through everything else, every other worldview, every other culture, every other thing that happens has to be, has to be, um, has to be measured against the way the Father sees it. Amen? has to be measured against the way that the Father sees it. It doesn't matter if your experiences or someone else's experiences, your culture or someone else's culture, your worldview or someone else's worldview, it, if it isn't first filtered, listen here, if it isn't first filtered through the eyes of the Father, then it will only produce division, destruction, and confusion. If it's not viewed through the lens of the kingdom, it will only produce division, destruction, and confusion. Why is that? Because if you view God's world outside of his eyes, then there's going to be a false narrative. There's going to be lies and there's going to be destruction. Because if it's not viewed first through his eyes, you're not getting the real picture. Amen? So it has to first be viewed through the lens of the Father. Now listen, as usual, I'm going to say something really important right now, okay? So listen up. You are a son and a daughter before you are anything else. You are a son or daughter before you are white. You're a son and daughter before you're black. You're a son and daughter before you're Hispanic, whatever else you want to throw out. Before you are your culture, you are a son and a daughter. Before everything else. Our lead foot is not our culture. Our lead foot is the kingdom of God. That is what we lead with. Amen? Before we are anything else, we are sons and daughters. Before we are a city boy or a country boy, you are a son and you are a daughter. Before you are, this is for all my friends in Alabama, before you are a southerner or a yank, can I get an amen? <laughs> you are a son and daughter. And here's the most important one. This is the one that, that is so heavy on me right now. Before you are a Republican or a Democrat, you are a son and a daughter. Before you pledge allegiance to your party, you're a son and your daughter, which means everything your political party stands for has to be viewed first through the kingdom. Has to be viewed first through the kingdom. You know why I think, here we go. Here's the touchy stuff, you ready? You know why I think so many people, including Christians, have a problem with the term Black Lives Matter? Is because we're viewing it, before we view it through the kingdom, we're viewing it through our, 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 our Republican or Democratic Party. We're viewing it through a political lens. Think about it. The term Black Lives Matter is a good term. Am I right? Black lives matter is truth. Black lives do matter. They matter tremendously. So, and here's the deal. 
I think there's a problem because people who have said that have said it out of, out of hate. You've seen people say it while rioting, while doing all of these terrible things. And so you can, it's easy to view that statement through that lens. But let me tell you something. The term, make America great again, I've heard people say that with just as much hate in their hearts as people have said Black Lives Matter. The statement isn't wrong. The heart behind some of the people who say it is wrong. And I've also heard people with love, who love Jesus with all of their hearts, with all of their might, with all their strength, people who really want to see change, I've heard that same statement, Black Lives Matter, come out of their mouths as well. We have to quit viewing things through our political lenses, through our own worldviews, and view them through first the kingdom, and then be able to put on the lenses of somebody else and view it through their culture. Here's what I've learned. I've learned a couple things, a lot of things actually. One, I've learned that I'm white. Shocker, right? I, I'm 31 years old and I'm just now figuring this out. No, I've been white my whole life. <laughs> I, I think I'll probably be white for the rest of my life, you know? Uh, and, and actually, in, in the Bible, this, I learned this this week from, from Tony Evans, who's an incredible minister. I better hurry. I've got a lot of content to go through, and I'm talking a lot. So you might be here a while. Um, I learned this week, uh, I never thought of this before, but, but do you realize that, that your heritage, your, the color of your skin, the, the ethnicity that you are carries on into eternity, Revelation says that when John looked out, he saw every tribe, culture, tongue, and nation represented in the kingdom of heaven. So more than likely, we're going to be white the rest of our lives and into eternity. I've learned that I grew up, I grew up in Kokomo, so I grew up in kind of a more diverse area. But I moved out here, and let's be honest, we live in the middle of white America, it's not our choice. We didn't necessarily choose to live in a less diversified area, and it's not wrong that we do. It's just the way it happened, right? But I've learned that because of that, I do not understand, I do not know the experiences that other people have had. I can view the world, and here's the deal, you can only interpret the world through your own perspective, and I, and I personally have never experienced racism. I, I haven't. And a lot of it is the culture I grew up in. But what I have learned as I've been willing to take perspective through the kingdom perspective and to be able to put on another person's lens, I've learned that other people have experienced it. And it is an issue that other people have experienced. And it's not just people that I don't even know, people that I know personally, who I've allowed to speak and to say, what has been your experience? I've learned that racism, though it may not be burning crosses in somebody's front yard, it may not be, uh, it may not be they got dragged out into the middle of the city square, but racism being judged by the color of their skin has happened and does exist. And it has hurt that community. And it would be wrong of me 
who has never experienced it before, to look at them and say, because I've never experienced it, means you've never experienced it. And my job now is to listen and then to take action and to, to comfort my brother and sister. Amen? I'm actually jumping ahead of myself. What time is it? Hey, I got time. <laughs> let, let me get into some of this real quick before I, before I jump way too far ahead. The issue of racism is in the Bible actually a lot. That Jesus addresses racism head on several times in the Bible. And I'll, I'll be honest, I never really noticed it until this whole thing really took, took off. But on, the, the only difference is, is in the Bible, it wasn't white and black or Hispanic or anything like that. It was Jews and Gentiles. It was Jews and Samaritans. I want to, I'm not going to uh, read the story verbatim, mostly for the time of sake, or sake, time of sake. <laughs> I'm not dyslexic at all, am I? Not for the, you know what I mean. Okay, I'm not going to read the story verbatim, mostly for the sake of time, but I, I want to kind of go through the story. And I want to say this right off, that this story is not necessarily apples for apples, okay? That, that, it's, it's the story of the woman at the well. And I want to I say this as, as, I, as I begin talking, before I begin talking, is that nobody necessarily in this story represents the white man and then the black man, okay? So I'm not trying to make apples to apples here and compare what's going on right now with what happened in the story with what happened. And, the, and there's a lot of extremes in this story that, um, that I don't think is necessarily the uh, extreme that is happening today. But I... I I'm telling you this story to show you how Jesus approached this issue of racism, okay? So in John chapter four, Jesus and his disciples are leaving, um, uh, I can't remember which cities they were coming from, I apologize. They were, okay, they were leaving Judea and they were going towards Galilee. Now to go through, uh, to go from Judea to Galilee, they had to pass through a land called Samaria, most of you are very familiar with this story. They had to go through a land named Samaria. Now, to give you a brief history, most of you probably already know that the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. The reason why they didn't get along was because back in 722 BC, the Assyrians captured the northern, northern tribes of Israel. There were 10 tribes that were captured by the Assyrians and they were taken into exile. During that exile, Jews and, some, and Assyrians and other, even other pagan nations began to intermarry. They began to uh, go cross-culture and marry one another. And what came out of those, uh, those marriages, well, the byproduct of those marriages were these children who were called Samaritans. They became their own people group, their own culture, okay? And the reason the Jews hated Samaritans is because they viewed them as half-breeds. They viewed them as less than. They were not worthy uh, of, of the kingdom of God, and they viewed them as less than, and they viewed them as unclean people. So, there was a lot of hatred between the two groups. There was a lot of, of um, 
a lot of, of divide between the two groups. And so Jesus is making his way and his disciples are making his way through this country where Jews and Samaritans vehemently hated each other. And he's walking through. As they approach the city, Jesus tells his disciples that he's hungry. So the disciples begin to walk. I think, I believe, uh, I believe it's about five, it was about five miles to wherever the city was where there was food. So his disciples go off and, uh, and Jesus then goes and sits at Jacob's well. I love Tony, Tony Evans shares this story. I shared it on Facebook. I encourage you all to go back and listen to the message because it's incredible. But it's hilarious what he said here. He said, sometimes in order to have an honest conversation with somebody, you have to get rid of your racist friends, right? So, so Jesus sends his racist friends, his disciples, off to another country, or not country, another city, so that he can have this conversation with this woman at the well. So he goes to the, the well. We all know the story. He's at the well, Jacob's well. The one thing that the, the Samaritans and the Jews agreed on was Jacob and the importance of, of this well because the Samaritans believed the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, where you find the father Jacob. Okay, everybody caught up with me? So Jesus begins having this conversation with this woman, and Jesus looks at her and he says, he says, woman, I'm thirsty. Can't get away with that nowadays, can we, guys? You can't just be like, woman, I'm hungry. You know, <laughs> like, I'll get a black eye. I might get one just for saying it on stage this morning. But anyways, he says, woman, I'm thirsty. May I have a drink? And the woman looks at him and he, she says something. I think it's in verse 9. Go ahead and pull that up, Chad. She says this in verse 9 of, uh, of John chapter 4. She says, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water. She is literally saying here in this, in this moment, she's saying, why would I let Jewish lips touch my Samaritan cup? Why would I let a Jewish man, why would I serve a Jewish man who hates me, who hates my culture, why would I serve him a cup of water and let his lips touch my cup? So you can see here, the, the racial divide, the, the, uh, the way that these both, or both Jewish culture and Samaritan's cultures were raised from a young age to know that you do not get along and you do not associate with a Jew or a Gentile. So Jesus goes on. I'm not going to go through the whole story because we, we know it, we understand it. He, he tells her this. He, he looks at her and he says, he says uh, something along the lines of, he says, if you only realized who I am, you would not, you, I would not be asking you for a drink, but you'd be asking me for living water. And in that living water, you would never thirst again. And of course, the woman, I mean, she takes that literal and she's like, living water? Where is this living water? I would love to not have to come back to this well and draw water every single day. Where, where is this living water? And then he looks at her and he says, the living water that I give is the Holy Spirit who is in you and flows out of you. Incredible, and there's so much there in that statement, but we're not preaching about that this morning. So she goes on to see and to say, uh, man, I'm gonna I'm messing the story up, not reading it. She goes on and she tells Jesus 
uh, she tells Jesus, let me go. Or Jesus, she says, tell me more about this living water. And uh, Jesus says, well, go and get your husband, right? And the woman says, uh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had, I think, four husbands. And the man you're with now is not actually your husband. And the woman has this prophetic revelation. And she says, you must be a prophet. Pretty awesome, right? I mean, that took a lot to figure out. He just told her everything. And she figured out he's a prophet. And uh, let, let me just skip ahead to the, the important parts of the story here. So, so Jesus, Jesus then tells her that he, she is the Messiah. And so she tells her that she is the Messiah, and then she goes back into the city and begins telling the entire town. While she's there uh, telling, the, or before she goes back to tell the, the, the entire city what's going on, his disciples make their way back, and they find Jesus there talking with this woman. And in the scripture, it says that the disciples saw that and were, were shocked that Jesus would be talking to a Samaritan woman. Again, just to show you the racial divide that was happening in this moment. That they were shocked that Jesus would talk to this woman, the Samaritan, but it says that none of them dared say a word, right? None of them dared question Jesus. And the woman then goes off to tell the rest of the city about Jesus and the Messiah that she finds, okay? I'm sorry, I know I, I jumbled that story up, but stick with me, I'm going somewhere with it. So Jesus begins telling them, they, the disciples say, Jesus, we brought you back food, and I love this part. Jesus said, Jesus said um, my food is, wait, what, what was it? <laughs> Man, I should have just read it. <laughs> sorry. Jesus said, I have food that you know not of. And I love this part because the disciples all look at each other and they're kind of mad, right? Because they just walk five miles to a city, five miles back, and they're looking around saying, who already gave Jesus food and didn't speak up, right? <laughs> like, like they're ticked off that they just walked 10 miles and Jesus already ate. And then Jesus says, I have food that you know not of. And then as he's talking, all of a sudden this entire, I want you to picture this with me. This is, this is the part I really want you to get. Picture this. As Jesus is talking, this entire city of Samaritans begins walking out to the well towards Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus tells the disciples, he says, look up. What are they looking at? They're looking at the Samaritans coming towards them. He says, look up. He said, the harvest is here and it is plentiful. And we need labors to go into the harvest. Think about what the disciples, what is running through their mind in this moment. They've been trained from a young age, from just being little kids, that we do not associate with the Samaritan people. That we do not view them as worthy of the religion that we follow that they are less than us. And you have that group of people that they've been trained and taught to hate walking towards them. And Jesus tells them to look up. And he said, guess what, fellas? The gift I've given you, I'm about to give to them. The people that you've been trained and taught to hate and to see as less than. I'm about to give the gift to them. And not only that, I need laborers. So you 
are going to help me give them the gift of the gospel. In that moment, Jesus broke all racial or any, the all form of racism that was in the disciples' hearts. And he condemned all of it right there in that moment by saying the gift that you are receiving as a Jew is also going to the Samaritans. And he broke all racial divide right there in that moment. And again, I'm not saying this story is apples to apples of what's going on now. And this, that, that may have been true 20 years ago or not 20 years ago, longer than that, in the 1920s or so. But what I am showing you is that Jesus vehemently opposed racism in the Gospels. He vehemently opposed racism in the Gospels. And this isn't the only instance. This isn't the only instance he did that. You also see, you also see in the Gospels you see this story of the Samaritan woman. You see uh, the parable of the good Samaritan where the man is on the side of the road dying and the Samaritan comes and helps him. You see it in Cornelius, the Roman guard who was the first to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You also see it when Paul rebukes Peter for leaving the table of Gentiles because of their culture and their race. So you see it in all of these shapes and forms that the Father hates racism, and if he hates it, so should we. That if he is opposed to it, we should be opposed to it as well. I had a, another, another story to show you in here, but I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna just, well, let, let me just share a little bit of it. In, in the story of Cornelius in Acts 10, Peter was up on the house, on the rooftop praying, and uh, he saw a vision of a sheet come down, and on the sheet was all of the, clean, the unclean animals that Jews were not allowed to eat. And, and, uh, and, and the, then, then God, during this vision, uh, shares with Peter one of the most manliest verses in all of Scripture. He says, Peter, rise, kill and eat. Yeah. All my brothers said, amen. <laughs> and so Peter argues with him. He says, but God, I have never eaten an unclean animal. Not one time have I done that. And God looks at him and he says, Peter, do not call unclean what I have made clean. Do not call unclean what I have made clean. And thus bacon was born, amen? <laughs> Peter says, hallelujah, you know? And he, and he gets up and he, and he and, and then God tells him, God tells him, hey, there's going to be a knock at the door and there's gonna be three men there. He's, and then God told him, do whatever they ask. And so he goes downstairs and sure enough, there's a knock at the door. He opens the door and there's three guards there that serve under uh, Cornelius, the commander Cornelius of, of the Roman army. And they tell him, Peter, we've been summoned to come get you and to bring you to our master Cornelius. So Peter goes with the three guards. When he gets to the destination, when he gets to Cornelius' house, the door opens and there's a group of Roman people sitting in Cornelius' house. 
Cornelius welcomes him into the house and begins telling him that, that he served God, that he has been a servant of God for a long time. And that just this week, he said he had a visitation from an angel who told him to go and get Peter and have him come and to share with you the good news of the gospel. And so Peter does just that. He begins sharing the good news of the gospel with these Roman people, these Gentiles, the people that the Jews wanted had nothing to do with. He begins sharing the gospel of Jesus and telling them about how Jesus came and died for their sins and how he rose again. And in the middle of him speaking, Peter must have been long-winded like I am this morning, because in the middle of that, the Holy Spirit interrupts him as he's talking and begins baptizing and filling the Gentiles with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I love, I love what Peter says in this moment. Peter says in verse 34 and 35, he says, Now I know for certain that God doesn't show favoritism with people, but treats everyone on the same basis. It makes no difference what race of people one belongs to. If they show deep reverence for God and are committed to doing what is right, they are acceptable before him. And in that moment, the Gentiles became open to the gospel. Let me remind you this. Keep in mind that this moment that in this or that this is the moment the disciples realized that the gospel wasn't just for the Jews. If it wasn't for this moment, the gift of Jesus would have remained only for the Jewish people, and we would not have permitted to have a relationship with the Father. As I look around, I don't see too many Jewish people in the room this morning. I think we would all be classified as Gentiles if it wasn't for this revelation and this moment, we would not have a relationship with Jesus today. But the Lord came in and broke all racial divides. And he said, he said that, has, that, that has nothing to do with my kingdom, that all men that all men are created in the image of God. And that I oppose this, this, this racism and this cultural difference uh, in every way. And all men, all men uh, have this in common, that they are sons and daughters of the Father. Amen? And so we see this here again. That I'm going to make this statement one more time. That we at this church, because it is biblical, because it is the Father's heart, and because we are sons and daughters of God, we oppose racism on every level and in every way. So the question then is, what do we do about it? What do we do about it? Where do we go from here? Right? That's the question. What do we do from here? First and foremost, the first thing we have to do is search our own heart and make sure there is no trace of it inside of us. We have to search our own heart and make sure there's not even a trace of it inside of us. As, as, Saul, as David said in the Psalms, he asked the Lord to search his heart and if there be any wickedness in me, to pull it out. 
And we have to do that even with this issue. Man, this, really, this message could go, could be representative of a lot of things. But for this morning, we have to search our own hearts and make sure that our hearts are, have, have fully been cleansed from this, this topic of racism. Once we've done that, once we've repented, if we found any trace of it inside of us, then we must go to prayer. That seems like the obvious answer, but it is, it, is, it is amazing to me how many Christians know that's what our first step is, but how little we do it. So we must first make sure there's no trace of it inside of us. Then we must go to the Father in prayer. Begin praying against racism in our country. Begin praying that the Lord would allow us to see from other people's perspectives. Begin praying that the Lord would begin healing our nation in this world. And pray, and this is the third step, pray and ask him what you need to do in obedience. And then the third step is do it. Ask the Lord, is there anything you need me to do? Where do I go from here? What do I do? What do I say? And then be obedient to what he asks you to do. I believe that this is the way, uh, the way we handle many issues of the heart. But for this one this morning, in the topic of racism, we search our own hearts. We make sure that there's no hint of it inside of us. Then we go to the Lord in prayer. And then we be obedient to what he says. And that obedience can look different for everyone in this room. It may be totally different things that the Lord asks us to do. Maybe the Lord calls us to just go into our closet and to pray and pray and pray. Maybe that's what obedience looks like for you. Maybe it's reaching out to somebody. Whatever it is, it's being obedient to whatever he asks you to do. Amen? I want to end this morning with just a little bit of prayer. If you wouldn't mind just standing with me this morning. I want to, this is going to be really simple, but I just want to end this morning with just, with just prayer over our nation and prayer over this issue. This last Wednesday, uh, during our prayer meeting this last Wednesday, we, we spent a good quality amount of time praying into this issue, praying from all sides, praying for those uh, who are hurting in this hour, praying for, for those who are hurting, praying uh, for those uh, who are in law enforcement, who are put in an incredibly, incredibly difficult situation right now. That, that somehow in the face of the, these riots and these face of all of this, these evil things that are happening, in the face of all of that, that really is acting as hatred towards them, they have to somehow maintain law and order. So, so we, we, prayed for, we prayed for our law enforcement. We prayed for those who are broken. And, and we just prayed for truth and justice to prevail. It says in, in Amos chapter 5, the Lord, said, the Lord says in Amos chapter 5, he says, I want justice to flow like the river and for righteousness to be as abundant as the oceans. That's what I want to pray for this morning. That truth would prevail that righteousness would prevail, that people who are broken in this hour and who are struggling and who are crying out, that they would know that their voice is heard by their father and by their brothers and sisters.
that racism would be eradicated from our nation in all shapes and forms. That our unity is found not in our culture, not in our experiences, but our unity is found in the fact that we shared the same Father and that we have the same DNA because we are image bearers of that Father. So Father, right now, I thank you that our unity above everything else, our unity is found in you. Our unity is found in the fact that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And Father, I pray for these people here this morning and for those watching that that we would have the ability to view the world not through our political lens, not through our experience, not through all of those things, but we would first and foremost view the world through the kingdom and through the lens and through the heart of our Father. Father, that we would rise up and be sons and daughters before we are anything else. And Jesus, I pray right now for the brokenness of our nation. I pray for the brokenness of those in our nation who are hurting and who are crying out in this hour. God, I pray, Lord, that their voice would be heard. And Father, that their brokenness would be mended. God, that you would repair the hearts of your people that you would repair the hearts of your sons and daughters. Father, I pray that mothers and fathers would rise up in this nation with the heart of God. God, to, to father and to mother a generation who is lost and who is broken. God, that you would raise up fathers and mothers. Lord, I, I, I prayed this last Wednesday and I pray it now. Fathers like Martin Luther King Jr., who fathered a nation into repentance, who fathered a nation into reformation and did it through love and did it through justice. God, I pray for fathers and mothers to rise up in our nation in this hour to bring the nation back to the kingdom, to bring the nation back to the Father. Lord, as, as so, many, so many people these days Lord, across all cultures, both white and black, so many of our people are walking around fatherless. They're walking around without a legitimate mother and father. And because of that, brokenness is just, is just flowing through, through our neighborhoods. Father, I pray that in this hour, fathers and mothers would rise up and begin fathering and mothering our communities and our nation. God, even within this room this morning, God, I pray that you would raise up fathers and mothers to father and to, and to, to look after those in our communities, Jesus. God, those in our communities who are lost and broken, that you would raise up mothers and fathers full of grace and truth and love that would lead this generation into restoration and into wholeness. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. God, I do pray for our, our police officers as well in this moment, that you, Lord, would just protect them, 
that you would raise them up with such an authority that, oh, I love, I love what Sam prayed this last Wednesday, that their authority would go beyond their badge and their gun, but their authority would be the, uh, an authority established by the Father that when they speak peace into a situation, that peace has to come. God, that there would be an authority beyond their own human understanding that would come and that when they speak peace, peace would have to come. When they speak stillness, stillness would have to come. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you that you are speaking into our nation right now, that your voice is not silent that your voice is, is louder than the voice of the enemy in this hour. God, and though, though there's lots of confusion and there's lots of voices muddying the water, God, I pray that your voice of truth, that those who have, have your words in their mouth would be louder than any other voice in this nation. God, that their voice would penetrate and would cause the confusion to be resolved and would cause clarity to come into the nation. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God, once again, I thank you that what unites us is the kingdom. What unites us is you, Jesus. So we determine within ourselves to lead with that foot. That above everything else, we are sons and daughters. We love you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name. And if you agree with me this morning, just say, amen.